I think he's, I think, honestly, I think he's going to do these things. I may be wrong. I mean, I may stand before you in six months and say, hey, I was wrong. I don't know that I'll ever admit that, but I'll find this. I'll find some kind of an excuse. Okay, one or two, one more. So we're signing a very important document. Regardless of what happens in that meeting between the two dictators, what we are seeing right now, this is history. Pretty comprehensive document. His country does love him, his people. You see the fervor, they have a great fervor. Denuking, I mean, he's denuking the whole place and he's gonna start very quickly. I think he's gonna start now. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Good morning, Pyongyang. So our two dear leaders, as Fox News calls them, two great dictators met last night in Singapore to preen and parade and scare the shit out of everyone. Windsor Mann, the op-ed writer at USA Today, has called the summit in Singapore Clown Yalta, with Trump, Kim Jong-un, and Dennis Rodman in the roles of Stalin, Churchill, and FDR. So, as the dear leaders cavorted on TV, with great concerns we were told about the height differential between them, one of them looked every bit the dictator who had not been exposed to modern education, diplomacy, or social conventions in at least 60 years, and the other was DPRK Chairman Kim Jong-un. On hand at CNN last night to discuss this, at least, was Dennis Rodman. The words fail me. Okay, here goes. He's the sophisticated diplomat, reality show burlesque player, and late-stage alcoholic with a long rap sheet of domestic violence and DUIs. He's qualified to be a dishonest broker here because he's infatuated with a brutal dictator. That's Kim Jong-un. But let's get back to North Korea. Human Rights Watch describes North Korea as one of the most repressive authoritarian states in the world. It curtails all basic human rights, including freedom of expression, assembly, association, and freedom to practice religion. It prohibits any organized political opposition, independent media, free trade unions, and independent civil society organizations. There's gruesome evidence of crimes against humanity in North Korea, including systematic murder, including infanticide, torture, persecution of Christians, hear that, Mike Pence, rape, forced abortions, hear that, Mike Pence, starvation, and overwork leading to countless deaths. And yet, it's North Korea that Donald Trump decided to get buddy-buddy with last night, having snubbed our allies at the G7 conference just days before. My guest today to talk about Clown Yalta, the would-be summit in Singapore, is Alexandra Bell. She's the senior policy director at the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation. We'll be back with her in a minute, but first the tweets. The meeting in Singapore with North Korea will hopefully be the start of something big. We will soon see. I'm on my way to Singapore where we have a chance to achieve a truly wonderful result for North Korea and the world. It will certainly be an exciting day. And I know that Kim Jong-un will work very hard to do something that has rarely been done before, create peace and great prosperity for his land. I look forward to meeting him, and I have a feeling that this one-time opportunity will not be wasted. Great to be in Singapore. Excitement is in the air. Meetings between staff 
and representatives are going well and quickly, but in the end, that doesn't matter. We will all know soon whether or not a real deal, unlike those of the past, can happen. The fact that I am having a meeting is a major loss for the U.S., says the haters and the losers. We have our hostages. Testing research and all missile launches have stopped, and these pundits who have called me wrong from the beginning have nothing else they can say. We will be fine. Joining me on the line is Alexandra Bell. She's the Senior Policy Director at the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation. She focuses on national security issues in Congress, nuclear arms control, foreign policy, and other areas of peace and security. Welcome, Alexandra. Thanks for having me. Um, So what are you doing to take the edge off your hangover from last night? (laughs) (laughs) I actually... uh... Didn't get to have too many glasses of wine because there were various interviews going on. Uh, I'll save that for the end of the week. Oh, very good. I just meant like I feel like we got a little bit <laughs> intoxicated in a bad way on Sir Reality TV last night. Um, it was uh, very strange. This Singapore meeting um, yesterday morning in Singapore and last night our time. Can we talk first about the optics of the event? So what did you make of just the pageantry? What did you make of the handshakes, the little we saw? Absolutely. So I'll be honest, I was surprised to see the U.S. flag and the North Korean flag so prominently placed together sort of throughout the conference. Uh, That certainly put North Korea on an equivalent level, at least from optics standpoint, which is a huge win for Chairman Kim, uh, something that his father and grandfather were never able to accomplish, uh, being on equal footing with the United States. I think the president was very happy with how this all went, uh, the sort of round-the-clock coverage, the ability to present himself on the stage as sort of a a Reagan-esque character. Whether or not uh, that will hold up in the long term is less clear. I, I thought the president was setting the bar pretty high for what he expected from the summit and the positive nature of, of him talking about the, the deal they just made, which is really not as much of a deal as just a restatement of things we've already said. So he got his, uh, he got his moment in the spotlight, but I think he is setting himself up for a disappointment. Um, I mean, you, you say Reagan ask, but I don't think, I mean, until Gorbachev, Reagan didn't sit down with an enemy responsible for human rights abuses and a dictatorship in this chummy way. I know Trump said it was an honor to meet with him. I mean, why isn't this just weakness? Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll make it clear. I don't think it looked Reagan-esque. Oh, I see. <laughs> I think Trump thinks it uh, looked Reagan-esque. I, I think he's long thought of himself as this sort of ultimate dealmaker. Uh, but yes, he has never really seemed to grasp that the meeting in and of itself was a win for North Korea. This was something they wanted for a long time, and they really didn't give anything up for it. They have done a testing freeze on their missile and nuclear programs. They've done that in the past. Uh, Yes, they did release the hostages that they took hostage in the first place, uh, but other presidents have been able to secure the the release of hostages. There's really nothing new the North Koreans did 
other than ask for this meeting. And, and then sort of surprisingly, the president accepted without a lot of preconditions at all. In fact, any preconditions. What might have been preconditions for a saner president or a more strategic president? <laughs> I think uh, insisting upon technical experts being present at the destruction of their nuclear test site, which I think is probably less of a destruction and more of a propaganda event where they set off some pretty big explosions. Mm -hmm. Uh, The North Koreans could choose to dig out those tunnels that they collapsed or simply dig new tunnels. The United States, for example, tested nuclear weapons in six different locations. There's nothing to stop the North Koreans from doing the same. And wait, sorry, uh, quite t- frankly, it- tell me about dig out those tunnels. What would that what, what if you had technical experts in the room talking about plutonium and uranium reserves talking about those tunnels? What on paper might that ad- have added up to? I think we would have wanted the North Koreans to let, if not U.S. inspectors uh, who have a background and knowledge of nuclear testing programs, If not U.S. inspectors, then we would have wanted inspectors from the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty Organization, Mm -hmm. whose job it is to to verify this kind of shuttering of programs, to see the schematics of the tunnels, to understand, can they just simply build a new shaft somewhere else to access uh, the lower parts of the the tunnel? So it's it's really been all for show and not a lot of verification. And, And that's really where Trump is not at all like Reagan, because... Reagan was very clear that we should trust, but verify. Yeah. And the but verify thing seems to be missing from all of Trump's public talking points thus far. Um, And what do you think of the perversity? I mean, not to put a thumb on the scale, but of this following his snub of his fellow G7 allies. Um, It just it it just seems so nauseatingly topsy-turvy. I just don't know. I found this one of the most disturbing moments of this disturbing president. Yeah, I found it strange that someone who's been in international business his whole life seems to have such a poor grasp on international trade. And his behavior at the G7 was, quite frankly, embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was beneath the office, and the United States is, you know, has been better than this. And I'm surprised that we haven't seen more backlash from members of his own party Certainly when it comes to allies like Canada, we can conduct ourselves in a civil manner. That, that's not the case. And this is really unprecedented, the way he treats democratically elected leaders versus the way he treats aut- repressive autocrats. His demeanor towards Kim Jong-un was friendly. And while I think it's important to talk to countries that can threaten us with nuclear harm, I don't think you have to be overtly friendly with them. And I think... The ABC interview that happened with George Stephanopoulos just after, Mm -hmm. where the president referred to expensive war games being sort of off the table for the moment, and those expensive war games, as he calls them, are the extended deterrent joint military exercises that are incredibly important to our allies, ROK, uh, South Korea, and Japan. Uh, And I'm doing something that I've wanted to do from the beginning. We stopped playing those war games that cost us a fortune. You know, we're spending a fortune every number of months we're doing war games with South Korea. And I said, what's this costing? So again, you have a sort of dismissive tone towards our allies and the structures that we've built with them. It's really defies explanation. What um, what specific messages might South Korea and Japan take 
from last night? I think that they are seeing that the the White House was more interested in optics here than the specific security concerns that Japan and South Korea have. That being said, it, it was a positive sign that there was a direct note in the joint statement to commence with the actual technical agreements that would need to be put into place to actually stabilize the region. So I'm guessing they're hopeful about that and uh, eager to see Secretary Pompeo and talk to him about what exactly went down without the cameras in, in front of them. What concerns me, though, is now that Secretary Pompeo has sort of been tapped to run this process, who is running the process with Iran? Because from all accounts, he was supposed to be in charge of that, too. I I can't imagine that he can run two complicated nuclear negotiations at once. Maybe that's where he gets Dennis Rodman in the picture, who's (laughs) a a crucial diplomat in the equation. I know this is returning to optics a bit, but... um, but. I don't, <laughs> you can see the language yes. fails me. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm have really you... sorry to see that he has gotten so much press that he was given this primetime interview on CNN. So much attention has been directed at, at what effectively was just adding to the circus nature of the coverage. We have, as the United States, 60 years of experience doing arms control and nonproliferation mm-hmm. negotiations. We are capable of making deals like this. In fact, we just made a deal like this with Iran, and mm-hmm. it was actually working pretty well. Mm-hmm. So I have every faith in our rank-and-file experts in the government to pull something like this off. But they need the support of the White House, the patience of the White House, and this megaphone diplomacy and, and sort of almost... Uh, silly optics just has to be pushed to the side. And quite frankly, the media needs to stop paying so much attention to the optics and more attention to who are the technical experts at the table? Mm -hmm. Are we sending a team out to somewhere in East Asia to sit down in a room until we get something hammered out? And again, who is dealing with the Iran problem that is a problem that's a a self-created problem by the White House. So you said that South Korea and Japan will ideally dismiss, and I think we've been saying this for a long time about our allies and our non-allies, that they will dismiss Trump's antics as antics and um, be able to see through them. And it's as though we're, we're you know, in some kind of some kind of mechanical bull situation where we're just like having to cling on to this thing and hope that everybody gets that he's um, that he's not serious, that he or that he's that this is some kind of madman option and uh, and don't listen to what he says. I mean, I, I you know, James Mattis typically signals to people that we don't have our shit together. We know we have someone unhinged in office and just listen to the rest of us, <laughs> you know? And um, I have a, heard a former diplomat say that he goes to bed every night praying for the health of Jim Mattis. And I, mm. I was at the Shangri-La Dialogue last week, and I got the feeling that a lot of people around the world pray for the health of Jim Mattis. But uh, yeah, I think the whole world at this point uh, and our allies are in this, state where they just try to look past the ridiculous things that this president does, the very unpresidential things that he does. Yeah. The fact that he tends to talk about things without demonstrating a clear understanding for them. I think our allies, the international community, tries to push past that and just focus on what Secretary Pompeo is saying and Secretary Mattis is saying and what Congress is funding and and use that as their baseline for what the U.S. position actually is. The dangerous thing there is at the end of the day, the president can 
decide to wildly alter course and make these public statements that can completely derail things. He also has Ambassador Bolton in the White House, who I can't imagine was pleased with any of this. I almost did a spit take when I saw the uh, Stephanopoulos interview (laughs) in which he said, oh, no, uh, Ambassador Bolton trusts the North Koreans now. That is obviously not true. And I don't see him as being a positive force, Ambassador Bolton, as a positive force as we try to move forward with real actual negotiations with the North Koreans. Let's go back to the substance, because before we say this is dangerous, I mean, is it possible that this is neither dangerous nor exciting. It's simply uh, it simply reaffirms. I mean, I'm looking at the list of, of things that were agreed to, and one of them is reaffirming the commitment of the DPRK to work toward complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. I mean, I don't know if anything seems like a half-hearted resolution. Uh, that does to me. Yeah, the devil is in the details. And what exactly that line means Uh, could be very different to the United States and to North Korea. So that's exactly why we need to have technical experts in the room, lawyers who agree on specific definitions of words and make sure that they're clearly defined in the text of the agreement. We learned our lesson back in 1994 with the agreed framework, which the Clinton administration negotiated with the North Koreans. And that was a four-page document probably a little optimistic in we can just have this very basic idea and everything will go to plan. It didn't go to plan. And towards the end of the Clinton administration, they were trying to fix it. They ran out of time. The Bush administration decided it wanted to scrap the deal under the advice of John Bolton. Mm -hmm. And then they spent the rest of their eight years in office trying to get back to something like the agreed framework. When it came time to do the joint comprehensive plan of action with Iran, That agreement is 170 plus pages. We made sure that we were being very specific about everything we wanted, that everything was defined. That's why we spent so much time with the P5 plus one in Switzerland and various other uh, locations, Mm -hmm. Vienna, negotiating this very complicated agreement. I'm concerned that the Trump administration doesn't have the kind of patience that will be necessary to work out that kind of a comprehensive deal with North Korea. But... Again, I think our civil servants, our technical experts inside the government are capable of this. Mm -hmm. It's it's really the political commitment to it that's necessary now. One of the more uh, seemingly cosmetic, although you may tell me otherwise, um, commitments um, that they that the Trump and Kim made was to recovering the POW MIA remains, um, including the immediate repatriation of those already identified. So who who are we talking about? I mean, is that is there a substance to that? Uh, hopefully. I think this is the kind of thing that optically will play really well mm-hmm. in the United States. Mm-hmm. And it's a really easy thing for the North Koreans to give up. Right. This isn't about military locations. They don't have to take any hardware apart or shut down any centrifuges. They can simply do the decent human thing and return POW and MIA remains. So given the president's self-adulation about the release of hostages, you can see him taking something like that and making a very big deal out of it, getting a lot of good press, uh, a lot of uh, compliments from his base. In the end, that's not what we're at the table to talk about. We're at the table to talk about the very destabilizing and threatening North Korean nuclear program. So that's really where the focus should be. Um, and do you think after this that North Korea 
is still a, a declared enemy the way they say in in you know discussions of treason law that you know are we still where do things stand with <laughs> between the two countries it's truly amazing to me to read some of the things that conservative members of congress and conservative pundits are saying about this process you would think this was the greatest diplomatic achievement in the history of the world. At the same time, you know, there are various groups that are running videos of all of these same people saying that it's borderline treason, that Obama was even considering a meeting such as this with North Korean leadership. And I hope that all of these people will remember how excited they were about this possibility in a future situation where a Democratic president is trying to take a risk in order to reduce nuclear threats, because the tune in Washington has changed immensely mm -hmm. uh, regarding whether or not it's appropriate to talk to our enemies. North Korea is still a repressive regime. It puts people into prison camps. It doesn't let you leave the country. This is not a good, honest open government. And we need to constantly be reminding the president of that, apparently, who has been won over. The note about the North Korean people have great fervor. I don't know what he meant by that, but certainly people around him should be telling him that, in fact, Kim Jong-un is a repressive dictator and, you know, shouldn't be, I don't know, treated as a, a buddy, a friend of his, as, as, as the president is wont to say about almost anyone he's met with. I know you have a lot of people to talk to today, but just one last question about that. In the resolutions, um, as I understand them, there's no mention of of human rights abuses and, and repressions. The, he certainly... Or abduction, which is something abduction. that President Trump promised Abe he would bring up in this meeting. You know, who knows what happened when the doors were closed, but this is a, a change in the tone from how we talk about or how the administration talks about Iran to how they talk about North Korea. It, seemingly, they accept the idea here that we can separate out the nuclear issue, which is the most pressing security issue, mm -hmm. and deal with that, and then hopefully build on that to deal with the other problems uh, that are very clearly apparent. Um, I don't know why that same idea isn't applied to Iran, why somehow Iran doesn't qualify for that treatment. It's uh, puzzling, to say the least. Um, I heard... But hopefully... Yeah. I heard from a former um, State Department official today that he's, I think he said, I'm legitimately terrified this morning. Do you feel that way? I am terrified only if the overall sort of public opinion sort of driven by the media paints this as some win in and of itself. Mm -hmm. At the very most, this is only the beginning of a process. And the real work is ahead and actual technical discussion about denuclearizing the Korean Peninsula has yet to happen, despite anything the president says. And it does concern me that he has built this up into his head to such an extent that if things derail, as they have before with North Korea, mm -hmm. that he will be swayed by the people inside his administration who have always said the only option here is a military option. Thank you very, very much for being here, Alex, on a busy morning. Absolutely. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason Depp. Hey, will you rate us on Apple Podcasts? Just go give us five stars and get that off your desk. It really, really, really does help people find us and know uh, how good we are. 
Trumpcast is produced, as I said, by Jason DeLeon. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. He's such an amazing guy. So talented. You know, he took over the country when he was 26. 26. So impressive. So impressive. I wouldn't let Don Jr. run a popsicle stand when he was 26. I don't let him do anything now.